Hello everybody, thank you so much for joining us in the room today. We just had a wonderful conversation with actress Callie Cook. Yeah, we spoke about everything from how she got into acting, um, graduating from drama school, from her work at the Hampstead with director Edward Hall, then her time on film sets, uh, some advice from people like Maxine Peake and Dominic Cooper. But really, it was a brilliant chat. So we'll crack on with that in just a second. But while you're here, we'd like to ask if you could kindly subscribe to our podcast on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, leave a review, engage with us on social media. We are actually quite nice people, aren't we, aren't we Christian? We're all sometimes, right. Sometimes, sometimes. Yeah, sometimes we're all right. So that would really help us out. It, it would be hugely appreciated. And um, yeah, without further ado, here we are in the room with Callie Cook. Callie Cook, you are in the room with us. How are you feeling today? Hello, I am feeling good, thank you. Yeah, how are you guys? Yeah, not bad. We are how, doing how amazing, you doing, Christian? thank you. Good? I am, I'm feeling great. Good, good. and yes. just first things first, what we want to cover is Callie has kindly decided to give up some of her time and knowledge this evening while she is out filming. So she's taken her time out of her busy schedule to come talk to us. Mm -hmm. So uh, thank you so much for that. First of all, we hugely appreciate that. Oh, I mean, I don't know about knowledge, but yeah, any anytime. <laughs> Thanks, Carly. Um, Carly, we we, um, we like to start our podcasts by asking our guests how they ended up working in this crazy industry. Mm -hmm. um, so can you just tell us a bit about like what your journey was like leading up to going to drama school and pursuing acting professionally? Yeah, um, I mean, not nothing really very glamorous or exciting. I mean, I went to, um, I grew up in like, um Leicestershire Northamptonshire and um I think I was pretty lucky where I grew up at the time where there were still loads of free school clubs um like I mean it's quite sad that probably most of them don't exist anymore but um yeah I went to school at the time where basically everything was free and so I did both my parents worked full-time jobs so I did every possible activity I went to like breakfast club after school club evening club like I did every club and um one of them was drama club and I think um I mean it was your pretty standard I think we just played games for an hour um but I just remember I really liked making people laugh and I liked being laughed at and I sort of did it from there and I think the first sort of moment I maybe thought about it was this is a really boring example um but I was in like year five and they were doing a play I think they were doing a Christmas carol for the year sixes and I was the only year five that got a part in it so I was pretty big <laughs> I was pretty big deal <laughs> And I think that that was the, and like my entire family came to watch this play and it was the first time I ever did a play. And yeah, I think it was the first time that I sort of found my, my niche. And then, yeah, I had a pretty normal journey into it. I just did every Saturday, Sunday, I went to drama clubs again. Yeah. I mean, the one I went to was actually f completely free. I don't think I ever, I don't think until I got older, we paid a penny to, to study, you know, drama classes 
um and then yeah got got to 18 and I had luckily I had one teacher not at school school were not very helpful um but I got I had one teacher at my Saturday class that was like you know you can do this and then here I am yeah that's fantastic I it, like amazing it's the way yeah. you said it having things that were available and free to you how that's just not yeah. a thing anymore how the arts are just not given Isn't enough it? attention financially and well let's avoid getting political but it's 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 great that you had that opportunity and it is sad though yeah I mean I didn't even you know I I my parents you know both worked we didn't even grow up mega mega working class but I mean everything was free and like I was in a small school I just I even remember going to youth club I'm not even that old I swear but I remember going to youth <laughs> club on like Friday night and everything was free I mean it is sad that they don't exist anymore but Yes. Well, what we'll do is we'll we'll skip to just as you finished um, art set because you were the year above us when we were at drama school. So we got to see yeah. all your productions, which was just brilliant. It was so brilliant as as a second year actor to watch your guys' productions. I remember them really clearly. And Aww. while there is an element of you know right time, right person to it, you had probably the most ideal transition from drama school third year into the industry. Like you signed with a huge mm -hmm. agent, at, you know, Curtis Brown, and you went straight into paid professional work. On reflection, can you pin down how that all happened? Uh, are there any tips you can share for, you know, recent or impending graduates to help give them the best start in the industry? I mean, if I'm honest, it was sheer luck. Like, I don't, I mean, you guys will remember, and we won't go into it too much, but I think when we were at ArtSed, it was, the school was definitely changing. Mm. Um, I think, you know, people were getting more interested in us. Um, not not to, you know, put shade on other years, but I remember watching, you know, years older than me and I, I, was, I, I was a bit confused by the whole thing. But I think for our year, for your year, the year below you, like things started to change a little bit. I mean, I won't lie, what helped us is that obviously one of the actors in our year, um, she got nominated for an Olivier while we were third years. So I think like people, we got more exposure than than we would have. But it's all about getting lucky and getting people to come mm. see you. I think, and I, I think for me, again, yeah, like you said, I got super lucky with my first play um, when I did Harvest, and then I think um, I just picked a show. I just picked the right showcase mm. scene. Like I, I was back and forth for ages. And I I mean, some of my friends did the most amazing performances in the most beautiful scenes, but it just wasn't the right scene for them. And like, I think that's how it, it comes. It's such a sort of, you know, tiny, tiny thing, but it can be so, I remember actually speaking to my agent about it, um, you know, months later down the line. And she was like, I want to see, she was like, I have, you know, actors who can play mums or, you know, going through a divorce or like all these things. She was like, I want to see, pretty much I want to see you play a 17-year-old girl because that's what I'm looking for in a graduate. Unless, you know, there's something more to your casting than that and there's something very specific to your casting, then obviously that's what you should focus on. Um but yeah, I think I just got lucky. I don't know if you remember, I did um, Britannia Waves the Rules yeah. by Gareth Farr. Yes. And um, I was literally playing this gobby 17-year-old girl from Blackpool, just chatting a bit of shit. And I mean, that is that was all it took really. And she could just look at it and be like, yeah, I can pick you up and I can slot you into the industry. 
And, um, and I mean, yeah, I got super lucky with my first job. So I don't want to say it is all luck, but a lot of mine was luck. And it was just yeah, right timing. Yeah, that's really interesting. Because I don't actually really think there's any logic no, to but it. but you say that with yeah. the showcase scenes. I think that's a really interesting point that you say that people picked these great scenes, gave amazing performances, but it wasn't what agents were looking for. And you're so right, because agents aren't going yeah. there to, you know, if they watch some great acting, obviously that's awesome. And, you know, you've got to be a good actor to get signed. There's no doubt about it. But it's about just showing your casting mm -hmm. type and as you said all you did was play a 17 year old gobby girl from Blackpool you didn't need to have the big climax scene yeah. in a play you didn't need to show a huge amount of emotional range you just went yeah. this is what I can do if you want that sign me and it clearly mm -hmm. worked and I get why people do the big scenes though because again I, I'm trying to be really careful what I say because I don't want to slag off drama school um that's a different podcast but um <laughs> I, like people got stirred into you know the bigger picture and making us have a really good showcase with really good scenes so other people suffered at that because you know they wanted a few you know epic dramatic couple going through a divorce or like you know mm. uh, a couple losing their child and I mean not to be you know but it, at the moment we're 2021 20, that is not stuff we can relate to like mm. that's not stuff we should have been showing but I get why people people got pushed into doing that because again they delivered amazing performances but an agent is looking at that and they're like I've already got a 27 year old who can play a woman who's lost mm. her baby or like I know it sounds really fickle but no 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 at that moment, I think it is yeah no absolutely yeah I'd love to talk a bit about um Firebird actually your professional debut playing the role yeah. of Tear at the Hampstead Theatre um so it was a play about child sex abuse ring in Rochdale back in 2012 mm. I was really curious how do you approach such dark material as an actor and access them kind of emotions you need to play a part like that and then sustain it night after night through a or a sustained run yeah I mean I didn't realize it took a toll until I finished it I think mm. um I mean I had the best time on that job even though I literally went through hell and back on stage every night I think I just had I honestly I've never had more energy I've never I slept really well I think <laughs> I think I loved obviously, um, obviously because we'd been at drama school for years yeah like we had no sleep and we were like you know we were there at half seven and getting home at nine or whatever at drama school. But then obviously I went straight into the play and I've never had so much sleep. I love the starting at 5 p.m. sort of life. So I did sleep a lot. I also had a lot of help. Like um, that's one thing that you get, you don't really realize until you start working professionally. Like you get a lot of help. I do think, again, not to slag off drama school, I do think drama school just pushes you too hard. And then when you actually become, start working professionally, you're like, oh, it's actually, you know, the jobs are hard, but I'm being so much more well looked after. Um, but yeah, it was intense. It was, I think, yeah, when I stopped the job, I got really ill because I was just, I mean, <laughs> I'd never work at the National because I just wrecked my voice after like the first week. Basically everything I'd learned just went out the window because adrenaline <laughs> just took over. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was it was very intense. It was a yeah. That's it was a really long time. interesting that you said about how you think drama school almost pushes people too hard. Do you think? Because in my opinion, it's almost a thing of there's a mythology about drama school that you almost need to be pushed so hard because that's what drama school is. So I feel like some drama schools go, okay, well yeah. we have to do that then because that's what drama school is. Otherwise, if we don't do that, they'll go, well, what is this? Easy. Yeah. 
I look back and I just, oh, people are going to not agree with me, but I just think it's bollocks, so much of it. Like, what are we doing? Like, we were actually talking about this the other day and we were remembering, do you remember when we did someone who watched over me? And I'm like, I got kidnapped in the middle of my day and like, <laughs> blindfolded yeah. and my friend fed me yogurt with his hand. And I'm like, how is any of this going to help me? <laughs> and it's like, I, like, obviously I've been fortunate enough to, to, to learn on the job and work. And don't get me wrong, I'm so grateful for drama school because I wouldn't, I'd, God knows where I'd be without it. But I, there are so, so many things where I'm just like, how did any of that help us? <laughs> and I think, I, I mean, I did leave, what, five years ago. I'm sure it's very different now. Because I do think people are catching on to a bit of the. Well, maybe they're still force feeding people petty for loo. I don't. I don't really know. That... Well, that's exactly what happened. We were literally texting about it the other day, like, "What the hell was going on? Like, why did we think that would help it?" And the teacher's like, mm, "Yeah, yeah love, love it." Love and I'm like, yogurt. "What? <laughs> yeah, such bullshit." <laughs> it's so weird as well because I'd forgotten about someone who'll watch over me, probably because of my yeah. horrific yeah. Irish accent that I was attempting to do in the first year. <laughs> with I played the Irish guy, it was. Oh, yes, no, let, let's move on. Let's move on. Um, I'd love to yeah, talk sorry, about um, your um, working relationship with um, Edward Hall, who was the artistic director of yeah. Hampstead at the time, because you've gone on to then act in two more plays directed by him. So it was Filthy Business and The Strange Death of John Doe. And as well as he yeah. directed uh, Blythe Spirit when you played a role in that film, mm-hmm. having a working relationship like that with the director of his caliber, I mean, that's that's an asset to any actor. How did you go yeah. about developing that relationship when you, um, you know, started with Firebird? And what about the way he directs? Do you think it makes you two a good fit? Yeah, it is mad how that happens. Yeah, it's mad how you meet these people and you're like, you're my person. Um, Firebird was such, honestly, it was sort of like fate. Like I'd been sort of manifesting that I wanted to do something like that for a long time. And it's always the sort of stuff I was interested in. And then I remember the connection is all a bit mad between the people that I don't know, we we're all sort of connected before we even knew each other. And I remember my agent pushing it. Cause I think I started Firebird in August. And I mean, we left, we left um, Art Z that summer. So I think I was auditioning while I was at Art Z. And um, I remember at first my agent was pushing me and they kept saying no. Cause they were like, we're going to actually go for, you know, maybe a 15, 16 year old. And then they came back and obviously realized it was far too heavy for a 15 year old to try and carry. Um, And then I met with him once and like, we just sort of, it sounds creepy, but I promise it's not. We just like fell in love. (laughs) And then, um, and then uh, I got, I like left, I I was walking out the audition and I got a phone call and they're like, they want you to go back in. And I went back in uh, like a week later and I read with another actor for who was playing another role. And then literally, it's a, honestly the first and last time it's ever happened. And I left the room and 10 minutes later, they offered me the job. And then it's so hard because you would, I mean, on paper, he was the wrong person to direct that show, you know, he, but he, this, you know, 50 year old white man from Streatham got inside the head of a 14 year old girl from Rochdale. I can't even explain it. And he's just, he's so clever and he finds, he's one of those directors, maybe it's because, you know, we're all a bit self-indulgent, but he's one of those directors that loves everything you do. Even if it's the wrong thing, he just is having the best time. <laughs> and like, he'll laugh at everything you say. So you just think you're hilarious. Um, but yeah, we just, I, I think as well, not to sound wanky, because of Fiber w- was what it was. We went through something together, I think. Mm. And it was it was my first job. I spent my graduation day with him. And like, 
it was his first downstairs play at the Hampstead. So it was his first like intimate and he's never done, you know, he's not really, he's famous for doing like Chariots of Fire, like big, you know, Sunny Afternoon, like he does big shows. And um, it was just very intimate. And like, we had a reaction that we never thought we would have. Like there was tiny things that happened that just would blow our minds all the time. Like I remember um, when we transferred to the West End, we streamed it. And so they spent two days basically shooting, they spent two days shooting two of the shows and then they like got all the different shots and edited it together. And then at the end of the two days, me and Ed both got an email from the entire camera crew just saying that they'd like to donate their fee to the Children's Society because of what they'd seen and they were so affected by it. And you know, like there was tiny things and we met a lot of, we met a lot of victims. We met a lot of charity workers. So I think we just went on something quite special together. Um, and then, yeah, we stayed, you know, I look after his dog when he goes on holiday. Um, <laughs> like we just stayed really close and like everything has just been at the right time. I think when we've worked together, I mean, I hope we do again. He's, um, he's into, obviously he doesn't work at the Hampstead anymore. So he's directing a lot of telly now. So I hope we do again, but it is so, it's so nice. But again, not to sound sort of a bit lovey, but it, it almost happens with most people you spend that much time with. I think mm. if you're with the right people doing the right job, it's really hard not to sort of keep that connection with them. Yeah. Yeah, it's nice to form that sort of special relationship when you go through something like that as well. Also, I think it's so important because it takes them off their pedestal. Do you know what I mean? Mm, like, yeah. it, it's, I, I always think the best way to learn about our industry is to, I know it's a catch-22 because like getting in it is the hard part. But once you do, the more time you spend with these people, you realise that like they have very little power and also it takes them off the pedestal that we put them, that drama school puts them on. Yeah. Well, speaking of pedestals and things, you, you've worked on stage productions and on big scale things, whether that be the West End or Sky, Netflix, you know, the list goes on. And there's a huge amount of pressures, pressure on actors and, you know, lots of nerves going on when you go in, go in, uh, go onto the set. And I think, yeah, maybe taking them off the pedestal allows you to go onto the set and just mm -hmm. do what you do and be in the moment. And what, what advice would you have for actors going onto set for the first time? Cause it, it's a lot of pressure that we don't really have to deal with at drama school. Yeah. I mean, it's a tricky one because I wouldn't say go in and be all cool about it because I mean, like filming especially is magical. Mm. And like, you know, I've done a few jobs now on TV and I still find it magical. So I like, you, you don't want to lose that. Like, so my first screen job was Britannia and I will never forget, like I was in the middle of nowhere in the Czech Republic and I walked in, I think my first like week was this massive, um, like tree of life sequence. And basically everything was fake and they'd built the biggest, most amazing tree I've ever seen. And then basically like the Romans charge in and blow the whole thing up and set everything on fire. And I just like, I was so nervous. I had such imposter syndrome, like everything. I was feeling all the feelings that we all feel. Mm. I was so mesmerized by the magic of like movie making and like just that you never think you're actually going to see it. I don't know. It's very, it's very hard because I would also, I, I would argue to hold on to the sort of nerves of being on a big job because I do think a little bit of imposter syndrome can help because I'm never not grateful. I think for where I am, like, don't get me wrong, you get used to things and you get less scared and you get more relaxed and I enjoy my time a lot more. I found I think um, Firebird was different because that was like 
a life changing experience. But I, f- I found I've, I found at the beginning filming really exhausting because I, I was so nervous all the time. Mm. And like I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't even leave my trailer to go and get a cup of tea if I was in my trailer for six hours. I know first world problems, but like just little things would like really stress me out. But I would say again, catch twenty two because the, if you play a bigger part, you get to spend more time on the set and you get to know everyone really well and it's like your family so it's it's really hard to find the balance but I would hold on to the nerves I think I think they've helped I'd me. love to ask yeah. if if you can pin it down what goes through your mind the couple of seconds between them you know checking sound speed and all, all that type of stuff just before you start a scene what's going through your head then because it's really interesting because for me I really struggle to just key in with what I'm doing at that moment I go oh my mm. god have I somehow magically moved off my mark by five meters even though I've stood dead still what what is going through your head if you can does it vary actors coaching international are offering 20 percent discount on their acting classes for in the room listeners go to actorscoachinginternational.com and put in room 20 in the discount code or email hello at actorsci.com I'll be honest, not much. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> there's been very few times where I've been really in what I'm doing because filming is so weird. Like, it, your day is so broken up. It's very, So I've just done a job, actually. It's called Rules of the Game. It's a BBC One drama. It actually just got announced, so we can Ooh. talk about that. Um, and that's the first um, thing where I've had proper, like, it's basically, it's a... Um, it's about this workplace and historical abuse. So it's heavy. It's really heavy. Um, so that's the first job I've done where I've had like really long days of hefty dialogue. And I would say maybe 60% of the time in that job when, you know, when they're about to say action, I'm thinking about what I'm doing, but I'll be totally honest. Never. (laughs) Like I'm never thinking about what I'm doing. I'm always thinking about like, what I'm supposed to be saying, what where the camera is. I mean, I, I think actors would be lying if they were like, they're in it all the time. Mm. so much going on and there's so many jobs and people have so much to do that's much more important than actors that we just literally have to s- turn up, stay the line, you know, stand quite still. But you learn it, you learn it as you go. And I mean, I'm going to sound, people would disagree with me, but it's, it's pretty easy. Like filming is, it's not that deep, like, we get we get paid stupid money to do very little work I mean the hours are long but I mean I don't really think it's that taxing at all on on what we have to do and yeah I'm I think people would be lying if they're like yeah I'm in it all the time because I definitely zone out no I agree with you because I think I no I just honest everyone was honest then we'd all come to that same conclusion but I think that you know yeah yourself up if you don't if you know if you do a scene and you're like oh I didn't really feel that you'd beat yourself up but it's nearly impossible like there is so much stuff going on I think when you're doing like intimate scenes or emotional scenes you get a little bit more space from like crew and you get maybe a little bit more time and you know on my last few jobs I've had a bit of rehearsal which is basically just blocking but I mean yeah it's really not that deep I mean it's the best job in the world I don't know why people get so stressed (laughs) about it well Mm. I remember Joaquin Phoenix saying that he was, when he was on the set of The Joker, he said there was a lot of the time he wasn't in it. And then the few moments that he was in it, they just happened to capture with the camera. Exactly. Exactly that. Yeah. yeah. I'd like to talk about, um, sorry, no, Matt, no, uh, about what you do before you turn up, because 
um, you know, while the content changes from job to job over time, and because I don't think it really happens at drama school because it's all, you know, fake projects, as it were. It's great for trying things, but I don't think you really know what works for you till mm. you leave. And we develop our own sort of method approaching a role. I don't want to be like, oh, all wanky and be like, well, what's your method? But in your experience... <laughs> what is the work that you must do before you turn up to set or rehearsals and what things do you find unnecessary or of little benefit that you've tried before? Um, well, look, if I'm honest, I'm still very much in the phase where I have to take the jobs that come <laughs> to me. You know, I only just quit my non-acting job uh, like at the beginning of this year. So I've still even though I've been super lucky the last maybe two years and I have gone from job to job, but I've just taken sort of what's landed from an audition. Um, yeah, my last few jobs, I have had a rehearsal week, which has been helpful. I'm honestly a terrible actor because I really don't do much work. <laughs> I'll do, no, that's wrong. I do work. Like, I mean, you guys know I worked really hard at drama school and like I took it really seriously and I'm really punctual. But I mean, other than that, I just like to piss about and have fun and I'll always know my lines. But I think with a screen job, I'll try and I'll try and learn everything mm. just because you get home so late and you get your call sheet so late, you know, you go to bed like 10 minutes before you get your call sheet. So I would say what I do is learn lines. Um, it depends what it is for me. I don't really know that answer no. yet. I don't think, I think I will. I think I'll get to a point where I have a process. I know a few of my friends are starting to get there. Um, and you know, hopefully I get to a point where I can, I can choose the jobs and then I think, you know, I'll have to, I'll have to start putting the work in, but my last, um, the job I'm on at the moment is, is a, is a comedy. And I honestly, honestly, I'm there every day, but I maybe say one line a day. It is a dream and I don't have to think too much about it, but then, you know, the, just because you're not doing the practical work, your head's still going mad. You know, the anxiety doesn't leave you and you're still freaking out about how you look or what you said, or, you know, the fact that you're not doing anything. So I, I think everyone must be different. I know some of my friends, yeah, they'll be fully off book before they start rehearsals or before they start shooting. They'll have a, a playlist with all the character songs. I just, I don't think I've worked out what works for me yet. I think, I know this sounds weird, but I think what works for me is like making friends with the the cast and crew and having a nice time. I think that actually helps me. I know it yeah. sounds a bit mad. Well, yeah, it helps you relax, doesn't it? So you can just... What you said was, uh, yeah. I mean, there's a really, I, I'm going to... Um, paraphrase it but David Tennant was asked about you know what makes a good actor or whatever before and he literally said basically what you've summed up in that answer which was turn up on time you said you were punctual learn your lines you said you do that and be nice that's it and mm -hmm. and then you added yeah. on to that you know I just like to play and I know it's another actor's cliche you know that's yeah. why it's called a play but but it's true it's true yeah I think if I was doing theatre I'd it would be very different answers but honestly, like, like, and I'm learning from the last few years in TV, it's just not that deep. Like, don't get me wrong, if I was playing the Joker or if I was playing, you know, some a real person, I'd have to put the work in. But my last few jobs, I have just been pissing about having a nice time and hopefully getting away with it. Um, because, yeah, like, you, you'd, I think you'd go a bit insane if you took it too seriously. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, well, you're doing great so far. Yeah, well, fingers crossed. This this podcast might be the end of me. <laughs> <laughs> um, Callie, you told us, <laughs> I 
You told us that uh, for one of your roles, you had seven or more rounds of auditions before you landed the part. Oh um, like, why so many rounds? Honestly, I don't know. Well, it, that was honestly traumatizing. Yeah. It's for a job. Um, yeah, annoyingly, I, I can't say what it is yet because it's not been announced. Um, but it's like it's my big one, you know. It's my mm. it's my first lead in a TV show, and also it was like. I'm not even joking. You know, when you read something and you're like, this is written, this is me, like, this is me. Yeah. Um, and I don't think I've had that before. And um, yeah, I mean, I think, so I, I taped, I went in to meet the casting. I went in then to meet the casting and the team. I then had to go back because the sound hadn't recorded on my, re- like, the oh, second no. week when I had to go back. And then... Um, the show was based the show is basically about a couple and so then I spent two days doing chemistry reads with different actors and then it got to the point where like and um there's a lot of nudity in the show and a lot of sex so we had to like negotiate it before we got any further mm-hmm. and so we're getting to a point where we were genuinely negotiating the contract and I still hadn't had an offer and I think it was like a week before Christmas at this point, it was like, yeah, 2019, it was like a week before Christmas. And I was like, well, look, if I don't get an answer before offices shut for Christmas, I was like, I actually don't know if I can cope anymore because it's happened to me once before at this. And when I got the no, it was just so rough because, you know, this was like, I think I started auditioning for this in October and we were now in December. Um, and I'd started to really get on with the people and, you know, I was getting more and more episodes and like, yeah I was getting I was it was horrendous and then I think it got to like so I'd done done the two days of chemistry testing now like surely we're gonna know on Friday I think it was now like Thursday and they rang me Thursday night and I think yeah this was like the last Friday before Christmas and they rang me Thursday night and they were like look can you come in on Friday morning we just need to see but they, they literally needed one note. I think they just needed to see her play this one scene, some and something in what one type of way, basically. That was literally it. And then my even my agent was getting a bit pissed off at that point. She was like, this is a bit ridiculous. And um, and then yeah, I went in on the Friday morning, did this note left, and then thankfully that afternoon I got the yes but I mean normally I'm on the other side and I get the no but honestly I, I don't know why it was so long and then when I did the job they were like it was always you and I'm like said. bullshit yeah. was <laughs> I mean I'd like to yeah I'd like to ask that. you how you as an actor deal with the no's because I think everyone finds their own way they have almost like their post audition routine or their post I don't like the word rejection I don't think it's quite right but their you know their post you're not right mm-hmm. for the job email as it were what do you do after those no's and how do you pick yourself up for the next one because for some people it, I mean you might just say well you know I just wait it's easy but some people really struggle and need their own thing what helps you yeah. oh I struggle I mean I think I'm actually a bit nervous to finish this job and start auditioning again because this will be my first time without having other work like so I worked at a gym literally since being a third year up until this year and whenever I would finish a job, I would be there straight away because I would work eight hours and I couldn't have a phone on on the reception desk. Um, so that always helped. And I would, you know, it would stop me checking my phone a lot because I couldn't. And also I worked with a lot of people who didn't give a shit. <laughs> like they weren't actors and they couldn't care less about my drama. Um so like they I'd sort of maybe talk to them and they'd forget they'd forget about the whole thing and they'd never ask me about auditions. I also, 
sometimes if it's a really big one, I'll go to the cinema. I think uh, I just love the idea of physically not being able to check my phone because I'm really bad with my phone. If I'm waiting for an answer, I'm really bad with my phone. Um, so yeah, doing things that go to the cinema, trying to see friends. I mean, I don't know if there's any right or wrong way of dealing with it. I still find I still find no's tough if it's a job I like because uh, I think a really positive thing that I do that I would recommend is I really do manifest jobs and I, I actually really do tell myself I will get them I think again going back to drama school some of my friends that were amazing talented actors I think genuinely I know this is maybe bullshit but I think it didn't happen for them because they didn't actually believe it would at times I mean they probably do now or they've gone through phases of believing and not but there was some there was always something in the back of my head where I knew I was just going to be an actor and I was going to work as an actor and I still have that so yeah I've always sort of just and so which is a blessing in that sense but also it's an absolute bastard in the sense that I sometimes really believe I'll get a job and then I don't and then I feel shit but yeah I don't know if there's a way of dealing with it better that's a great answer what sort of things do you do to manifest do you do sort of like gratitude things in the morning or no I just sort of like is it just believing I don't know if you guys do this I honestly I'll watch a film in the cinema and I'll put myself in it I know that sounds weird I did it from really young I used to do it with like songs like I used to listen to music and think I was the singer like or in the music video do you know what I mean like Yeah. yeah I'll watch a film and I'll put myself in it and I think that always is what helps actors if you can literally pick up something and say I can do that hmm. whereas you know again I remember um one of my friends when she knew she was struggling because she couldn't do that she couldn't like watch something and pick a part for herself in it um and I think it is I think it, you, it's tough because you've got to back yourself because not many other people are backing you but yeah I think if you manifest stuff and if you literally tell yourself you're going to get jobs Overall, it will help you, but then it also does make the fall a bit harder sometimes. There, I mean, I don't think there's anything that's going to help because there's some of those jobs and you you know, you deserve them as well and it's absolute bullshit and you don't get them. Mm-hmm. But you'll get over it because we always do in the end. Yeah, don't I we? think you've mentioned that like we confidence really is sort of an actor's biggest weapon in the audition process, but mm-hmm. legitimate, genuine confidence, not cockiness. Uh, because I think people are yeah. so afraid of cockiness, they go in over modest and then there's just an energy yeah, to that when you're in an audition room or you're even on a tape that I think you can see. Yeah. But it's such a catch-22 because, like, so right now, yeah, I'm probably feeling confident because I'm on a job, I'm away from home, I'm, you know, I don't really have time to tape. So when I am doing them, they're quite rushed because I've got other things going on. And then that actually projects, you know, this this busy actor who's ready to work. And but then also there's other people who aren't aren't working that will work so hard on their tapes, but then it might not it might not be that natural. I don't know. It's just such a catch twenty two because that confidence for a lot of people, especially for me, it did come from working because I beat myself up when I wouldn't, and you would see it on me. Do you know what I mean? Like it's 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 so tough. But I think my advice, one thing that helped me was when I started to actually just sort of celebrate in little victories that were nothing to do with acting. Like I really enjoyed my other part-time job. It made me so happy. And I used to really throw myself in and I would do all these weird activities or charity events or like anything that they would organise, I would always be at the front of it, you know, focusing on other things. And then I'd really celebrate them when they went well. 
yeah it's tricky yeah, it's tricky totally. well um we'd love to talk about a couple of the sort of big names that you've worked with that are in the acting industry i mean you've worked with big names from things in britannia the stranger and most recently um dominic cooper in uh peacock which is yet to be released so you know in your yeah. time working with some of these names like that i know we've spoken earlier on in the in the podcast about you know not putting these people on a pedestal but what have you learned from actors of you know dominic cooper's caliber from how they work on a set and is there anything you've stolen from them and added to your own actors toolkit oh yeah low i think i i think one of the best things about working with like you can't see me but i'm doing inverted commas like famous actors is that you watch how they work on a set and how they treat a crew you learn a lot from that you learn a lot about how what what they say has a, like a weight to it which is one thing that i definitely learned from watching people um I mean, yeah, some really good advice. I mean, I've I've been really blessed, you know, like I've had really good famous people that I've worked with. No one's put me off. Um, I recently worked on Rules of the Game with um, Maxine Peake, who is literally like my hero. Um, And she used to give me such good nuggets of of advice, but without being patronizing at all. I think... um, yeah, one that happened once. So <laughs> my character in Rules of the Game, she cries a lot. And I was even I was getting sick of my own crying. And um, we were having this scene together and we were like having a fag on the balcony in this scene. And um, the stage directions did me dirty constantly because it was always like, Tess is crying. Oh, she Tess, Tess is bawling her eyes out. It was, it was all, Have you ever had uh, the yeah, single exactly. tear one? And I'm really, oh, the, that's the worst. <laughs> and um, we were talking about it. And I'm not joking, I've already done like 10 scenes at this point with my character just crying. And I said said to her, like, it just doesn't feel like I should be crying again in this scene. I was like, I'm sick of it. And then she told me a story about how when she was at RADA, she was doing like a Shakespeare monologue. And I think in the Shakespeare monologue, her dad had just been killed or whatever. and or was, I don't know, I can't remember. And she does this monologue, absolutely crying her eyes out, you know, giving her best teared performance. And her acting teacher just went, what are you doing? And she was like, what? And he was like, why are you crying for? And um, she went, oh, because it's sad because the dad's died. And she went, no, that's you feeling sympathy for the character. She was like, the character feels no sympathy for herself in this moment. That is you as an actor feeling sympathy. And then she was like, so maybe that's how you're feeling with this scene. And I was like, holy shit, that makes so much sense. So I was like, because I knew I wouldn't have been crying in the scene because like, yes, everything was sad, but like she didn't feel the sadness. It was it was the audience having sympathy for her feeling the sadness. And I mean, that just blew my mind. So that was a good bit of advice. That's really, really interesting. Isn't it? Yeah, Isn't it good? You do almost. Yeah. So she was like, there's so many times. Yeah, she said there's so many times in shows where you can tell it's, I mean, she did say mainly actress, mainly the actress, so that you can tell that's the actress feeling sympathy mm. for the character rather than the character feeling Is sympathy. Is that because for people are reading the script? Because it's actually quite rare. Is that because they're, they're reading the script from the perspective I of think the audience? So. Probably. And the way things are written and the way we think we're supposed to perform scenes, you know, we've all watched those ITV dramas where the wife has that one tear rolling down her face for sort of no reason. And we're like, that's actually you, you feeling sympathy for the character because it's a sad scene because her husband's left her. She actually doesn't feel any sympathy for herself. And doesn't that make so much yeah. sense? It really does. Yeah, yeah. you can have that. 
<laughs> you can have that. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> um, to just finish up these uh, set of questions, I imagine we could do a full podcast on what you're working on now. And I know you can't say too much about some of the projects, yeah. but is there anything you can tell us about anything coming up? coming up at all oh it's annoying because the show i'm working on at the moment is probably going to be announced very soon um but something went wrong with their press release um but i'm in manchester uh and i'm filming a really fun comedy series um which is coming out in july i think and then rules of the game and my other show are both coming out in february uh this year and then we start shooting peacock the series in december so yeah peacock was a pilot and now we're going to make the series in december in liverpool amazing that'll be really fun and then i'll be home for christmas which that's be brilliant congratulations so for series two we have brought on this new section of our podcast so we are going to do 10 rapid fire questions some of these are acting related okay. some of them are a bit stupid but we wanted to mix in there and you've not been told what these are ahead of time because we want some real in the moment acting as it were so um are you yeah. ready for these 10 rapid fire questions? I will be starting off the first one. Yes, okay. so ready. So we'd like so you to ready. answer these in one sentence or less, if it's all possible. Right, here we go. Okay. Your greatest strength as an actor? Turning up on time. If you couldn't be an actor or any role in this industry, what job would you want to do? Maybe something in social care. Who would you want to yeah. play you in the Callie Cook biopic? I mean, obviously Margot Robbie. <laughs> obviously. What accent would you love to do faultlessly? Um, Scottish, I can't do a Scottish accent. What's the one item you yeah, must take with you when you're away filming? So it's every possible snack and Yorkshire tea bags. Yorkshire tea bags. Yeah. <laughs> How many bowels should an actor do at the end of a play? Maybe two, one. I don't even know. I feel awkward. What's bowing. your go-to karaoke song? Uh, Avril Lavigne, Skater Solid. Boy. Self-tape or in the room audition. Self-tape. Favorite word? Mm, bananas. <laughs> I panic. Sorry, I panic. <laughs> and last but not least, what actor, alive or dead, would you love to have a drink with? Um, Sam Rockwell. That's a great choice. Love that, Amazing. and that yeah, he's he's my. That's all yeah. ten. That was rapid, rapid fire, Callie Yay. Cook. Thank you so much. It's been a joy yeah. talking to you this evening. And again, we'd like to reiterate how much we appreciate you taking time in your busy filming schedule to come talk to us. It was just just oh, brilliant. So we've had you in the room, Callie Cook. We'll Thank let you, you get on with the rest of your evening. Thank you so much for chatting to us today. Thank you. See you later. Mm -hmm.